Since we began hearing from Matthew's Gospel back in December, we've known who Jesus is. We've known his identity. Matthew begins by telling us that Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham. In other words, Jesus is the true king and Messiah long awaited by Israel. But on Friday, that true king had died. Jesus, who had come to establish heaven's kingdom, a kingdom based on mercy, peacemaking, and forgiveness, had been murdered by the powers that be. A host of human agents took part in his death, from Judas, who betrayed him, to the disciples who abandoned him, to the religious leaders who arrested and tried him, to the crowds who demanded his blood, to Pilate, who condemned him. King Jesus had been murdered not by one person or one group of people, but collectively, by humanity. Early that Sunday morning, he lay in a wealthy man's tomb. Jesus apparently had one friend in a high place, not high enough to oppose the collective will of those who wanted him dead, but influential enough to spare Jesus' body from the usual fate of crucifixion victims. Many were not buried at all. But even in death, the authorities feared Jesus. Late Friday, the religious leaders asked Pilate for a detachment of soldiers to secure the tomb. The stated reason is to keep the disciples from stealing the body and claiming resurrection, which is crazy when you think about it. These disciples were not brave men. After Jesus stopped and attempted armed rebellion in the garden, they fled. Time and time again, they fail to understand what Jesus' mission is all about. The idea that they would have had the wherewithal to concoct an elaborate deception is laughable. Jesus' brothers left him behind to die. But the sisters stayed. They accepted where Jesus' path would lead. A while before, an anonymous woman takes a very costly ointment and anoints Jesus, preparing him for his burial. Mary Magdalene, another Mary, and Mrs. Zebedee, the mother of James and John, witness the crucifixion itself. The two Marys stay for his burial. They know he's dead. So it's hard to know what they expected when they came to the tomb early that morning. Matthew's text is sparse. They don't come to anoint his body. That's already been done. They don't seem to be coming there to mourn. They come to the tomb, Matthew tells us, to look at it. Perhaps they were the only ones among his disciples who had listened to him when he said he would rise. Perhaps they were the only ones to get it. Perhaps they come with some expectation. Something does happen. Yet again, like on Friday, the earth shakes. This is the moment of the heavenly kingdom's confrontation with the kingdoms of the earth, symbolized by the guards. The earthly powers 
have no chance. At the slightest appearance of God's kingdom, they have no chance. The guards shake like the earth under their feet, becoming like dead men. The women are afraid too, but their fear is different. Their fear is accompanied by joy. Jesus has triumphed. While there are fears at every time in history, this moment seems to be especially fearful. Over the past few years, it seems like the world has turned upside down. I once, in a previous call, I had a member who was very upset with me when I changed a, a, a setting from one of our communion settings to a newer one that he did not know. And it wasn't about the music. It was about the desire for one thing in this world, this world that, to his mind, had gone mad to stay the same. We all feel that way sometimes, I suppose. Wars, pandemic, fears over the economy, natural disasters, mass shootings, you name it. This world seems topsy-turvy. Nothing seems to make sense at times. The doomsday clock from the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists stands at 90 seconds to midnight, which is the closest to global disaster we've ever been. There's so much it seems to be afraid of. Is it any wonder that so many of us are armed? Is it any wonder that so many people my generation and younger hesitate to start families? So many, perhaps you, are awash in fear, losing hope. Although perhaps it may be good that we lose hope, and I'll tell you why. At least it's good that we lose hope in those things that can't provide a stable grounding for our lives, things that fail. People do die. Economies fail. Peace is broken. The world breaks. The guards at the tomb that day surely trusted in the power of the Roman Empire. Rome, after all, had been steadily expanding over the past several centuries. Emperor Augustus had even provided a modicum of peace. The empire's power was growing and would continue to grow for nearly another century. Why wouldn't they trust the power of empire? It offered security, a way to live your life. Of course, provided you act the way you're supposed to. But the angel's appearance shows how flimsy such hope is. Jesus' resurrection shatters every false hope. And while that shattering is painful, it is necessary. It is necessary for Jesus' victory to break every false hope we have. Because when he destroys all those false hopes, new hope, True hope, resilient hope, can grow. We can have hope in what really endures. The kingdom Jesus inaugurates at his resurrection is an upside-down kingdom, to be sure. There's no compulsion through violence or the threat of violence. No person or group of people are better than anyone else. Even Jesus comes to this understanding himself after his encounter with a Gentile woman who asks him to heal her daughter. Jesus' kingdom is built on his gentle justice. 
It's a justice that's not achieved through force of arms. It's not achieved through vengeance. It is achieved through peace, through forgiveness, through mercy, through love, through a self-emptying love that goes all the way to the cross for you and for me. It is a justice so threatening to empire, so threatening to all our false hopes that people would rather kill Jesus than to lose them. But Jesus cannot be contained by death. Death can't derail the kingdom of heaven. Our fears can't derail it. The kingdom comes in all its upside-down glory. It comes whatever we do. Luther put it best in his small catechism. In his explanation to the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, Luther wrote, God's kingdom comes without our prayer. But in this petition, we pray that it also may come to us. The kingdom came that way in a way that perhaps only the women at the tomb faintly expected. When they left the tomb that morning, Jesus tells us they left quickly with fear and great joy to tell his disciples. It was in leaving the place of death, the place of false hope, the place of a false narrative, that they saw the risen Christ face to face. Once all of that had been left behind, they could see Jesus for who he is, the triumphant King and Lord of all. The story Matthew tells about Christ's resurrection is our story. We'll hear more next week about Jesus' constant presence with his brothers and sisters to the end of the age. But for now, the message is clear. Jesus has triumphed. Leave all false hopes, all fears, all hatreds, all grudges behind at the tomb. The kingdom of heaven is here, and nothing in creation can take it away.